a great song. It's called Itchy Fingers. It's so much fun to play. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, in living the Braveheart life, finding the courage to follow your heart, uh, Wallace, which is a great, great name, takes readers on a journey from uh, Lizard Lick, Tennessee, to the Highlands of Scotland to recount how Braveheart came to life and how readers can draw from its lessons to live their own Braveheart lives. On the 20th anniversary of the movie, fans of the drama about 13th century Scottish hero William Wallace will be enthralled to learn of the author's motivation to write the screenplay, behind-the-scenes stories, facts about the Scottish hero, and more. Living the Braveheart life is about warriors, family, friendship, love, passion, heartbreak, and haggis. (laughs) <laughs> He's on the phone with us now, all the way from uh, from the Big 310, Mr. Randall Wallace. Sir, how are you? I'm great. Great to be with you guys. You don't have a Scottish accent. You're all southern sounding. What's that all about? I am all southern sounding, and that's that was part of what uh, drew me to the whole story of William Wallace in the first place. I I wanted to find my roots, and I discovered along the way that the great majority of Southerners are from uh, Scottish roots, and um, that was something I didn't know. I, when I first encountered William Wallace, I was looking for my own roots and and uh, heard the story that this was Scotland's greatest hero, and I thought, how is it that an American with uh, the name Wallace, who's intensely interested in history, has never heard of the greatest hero of Scotland? And that led me on the journey to Braveheart. I would be ashamed of that fact, having the last name Wallace. That's in, that's just in, in <laughs> horrible. Well, Rowdy Roddy Piper was proud to wear a Wallace kilt. So, uh, and he was Canadian, so it's full circle here. <laughs> yes, and he's Canadian. That's right. Exactly. Wait, didn't he just die recently? Yes. Yes, he did. Yeah. He did. And this summer. He, he was from the Winnipeg area, and we filmed... Heaven is for real in Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba. Just because so. they hope it wasn't Braveheart that you filmed in Winnipeg. <laughs> no, that would because <laughs> no, that's just too cold to be oh, wearing yeah, kilts in William. Winnipeg. <laughs> that'd be that'd be William Wallace. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you wouldn't wear your kilts. Freedom, freedom, freedom. <laughs> Hold on. We're just, I'm exhausted. I got to tell you, Randall, I'm overtired. And so things are just goofy in the studio today. But here's my imagery of that, okay? Now I'm just going to take this one step further. Um, Frozen tongue to something metal. Freedom! (laughs) There you go. Okay, I'm done. So you are Scottish. You you have to be with with the last name Wallace. Where is your clan from? Uh, well, uh, originally the the name Wallace means from Wales. Um, oh. So stretching way back, uh, William Wallace's family uh, might have come from Wales, but certainly they were Highlanders and in the Glasgow area around the village of Lanark. Um, and um, in another interesting parallel to um, the Winnipeg area, we filmed the... Uh, the movie uh, around a little village outside Winnipeg called Selkirk. Yep. Mm. And uh, and I had named a character in one of my earlier novels called Love and Honor, Selkirk. So when we went into the village of Selkirk, um, I knew right away that's where we were going to do that. Mm. And and my family uh, had come across uh, one of the Wallaces was from uh, Barbados and uh, landed in. Virginia and North Carolina, and 
uh, we traveled in through the American South and from there to California. And the, the story of that journey for me was largely what I call making the Braveheart journey and, and uh, finding a Braveheart moment, something that, that turns your life around, that transforms you. Where do you get to the spirit, the power, the activities that can help a person in modern-day life live a Braveheart life. That's where the story really came from. Not so much for me wanting to to recount stories of the movie, though I do that some in the book, but I wanted to ask, how can any of us live a life and live it more fully? Um, what are the elements of that, the spiritual, the physical, and emotional elements? Uh, okay, just, just before we get to the, the serious motivational aspect of this whole thing, I just want to uh, find out something. You named one of your characters... Uh, Selkirk, because there was a connection with Selkirk, Manitoba, so you named one of the characters uh, in one of your one of your uh, uh, stories Selkirk. Have you ever named a character from the town you were from? <laughs> you set me up with that one. <laughs> no, truly, truly, my father um, was born in Lizard Lake, Tennessee, and the men in my father's family are Alton, Elton, Dalton, Lyman, Gleeman, Herman, Thurman, and Clyde. Did you all get beat up in school? Those are those are nerd names. That sounds like the introduction of one of those uh, Def Leppard records. <laughs> Eating, Keaton, Clout, Clope. You know the one I'm no, talking that's, about? You, now you sound like the Swedish chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, that's a true story. And uh, they, you know, I, I recount this in the book that... Um, you know, we all, that, that a father is a big part of manhood, that your relationship to your father, good or bad, uh, is, is part of your dealing with a brave heart life. And becoming a father, even if it's to be a father of, to someone who is not your biological child, is a vital part of living a brave heart life. Whether it's being a warrior, a teacher, and even an outlaw. Why did you bring that up? <laughs> well, because that's who my father was to me, and it's it's what I think that uh, that that's what gives us a richer life. So hold, uh, did, hold on, I'm pardon me again for being completely exhausted. But do, do, are you telling me you were adopted? No, no, I wasn't. Because you said but something about a, a father being a father to a, a kid that's not his, didn't you? Yeah, no, yes, I did. But what I mean is that. The, the father aspect, when I talk about where my father's from and, uh, and trying to understand who that was and the, the part that I've left out that, that I need to say to make this all make sense, my father, the Wallaces, the way I am connected to Scotland and the heritage that was a Braveheart, my father's father was dead before my father was born. So, um, so we had the name Wallace, but we didn't know the Wallace that gave us the name. My father didn't know that man. He was, he died when my father was uh, only, was like in the womb a month. So that's how that all traced back to, uh, you know, you asked me how we got from Scotland to here. Mm. The notion of why did I not know who William Wallace was, was part of that family story. You're an intriguing gentleman. On the phone with Randall Wallace, he's the author of Living the Braveheart Life, Finding the Courage to Follow Your Heart. Um, what was the motivation for the book? I mean, uh, was there a turning point? Did your, did your agent say you need to write a book, so let's come up with something? <laughs> was there something 
you know, was there an impetus for, for this whole thing? What, where did this book really, really come from? Wow, that's a great question. Um, the, the 20th anniversary of Braveheart was coming up, uh, and that, that caused me to reflect on why has this movie remained uh, such a, a popular movie and such a force? Um, why, why 20 years later you still say to men around the country, what's your favorite movie? And I think, and of course, you know, I have an ego investment no, in this. No, no, you're right. Braveheart, more than any other, yeah. people will say, that's my favorite movie. Yeah, man movie. And, man, do, you think, do you think the chicks dig the movie as much as the guys? Well, one of the things I say about this is that uh, it may not be the most macho movie ever. It may be the most macho chick flick ever because women want the kind of man that, that I would call a Braveheart man. At a uh, screening in uh, Texas I did a couple of years ago, I was supposed to do a Q&A after watching it. We hadn't screened Braveheart in a decade. And uh, at the end of the screening, uh, a 19-year-old girl stood up on the front row uh, for the Q&A, and she said, Mr. Wallace, I don't have a question. I just want to tell you, my fiancé died six months ago. And he told me before he died, he wanted me to watch Braveheart so I would understand the way he loved me. And I think that's... Uh, a testament to the idea that women want uh, a man. They want a warrior. They want somebody that loves them. They want somebody that understands that life is about more than just than worshiping false idols. Um, finding that spot in your life where you draw a line in the sand and say, I may die here, but but life is greater than my physical survival. That's one thing. The other was my father and mother both passed away. My father died on the notorious September 11th, 2001. Wow. And then my mother died about six weeks before we started Heaven is for Real. In reflecting on their lives and what, how their lives are at work in my life now was another catalyst for me writing this story. Hold on. Help me with uh, Heaven is for Real. Is that the Todd Burpo story? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Remember, remember that interview, Tim? <laughs> we spent the whole day giggling. Well, because you can't say burpo. With two, us two guys can't say the yes. word burpo without giggling like 12-year-old boys. So that's what happened there. Well, um, he told Greg Kinnear, Todd is an incredible guy and real friend. And um, he, he, uh, Greg Kinnear was talking with Todd about, um, what, about his life and all the things that might not be in the book. And he said, Todd, what was your nickname in high school? And Todd said it was, oh. <laughs> I can only imagine. Nice. Um, hey, by the way, is Kinnear, because uh, he's, he's been in a couple of God movies. Does he have a little God thing going on, or is he just like the paychecks that come with that? Uh, well, I, he's, he's got a Scottish thing going on, so he certainly likes the paychecks. But, uh, <laughs> uh, nice. He, uh, he, he has a, um, a real quiet Faith. He belongs to the same church that Jimmy Stewart went to uh, back uh, years and years ago, and he, and he takes his family regularly. They're they're uh, real strong about it, and and even stronger in my view because he he doesn't wear it on his sleeve and yep. doesn't talk about it. He just lives it. Yeah, um, I like so, that. Yeah. I just drove by Bel Air Presbyterian yesterday or the day before. I can't remember. Um, have you been to that place? I attended that church regularly and still go. I now go to a church that I live in Malibu now, and we have a church that is in a tent 
on every Sunday. Um, so I don't drive over to Bel Air Press, but I still have roots and connections there. Tell, where is that? Um, it's called the Malibu Gathering. And oh, yeah, uh, yeah. I've heard of that. Fabulous church. Yeah, who's the, uh, who's the uh, preacher dude there? Brian Kelly. Yeah. And, uh, I think he, Candace, uh, Candace Cameron has been there before with her family. Yeah, yeah. Terrific church. Um, on the on the top on the handle, and there's a proper word for it, uh, but hilt. I have the hilt? Uh, on the hilt. Thank you, of my five and a half foot claymore sword that I brought back from from Scotland. Oh yeah. I have engraved: "Every man dies, not every man really lives." Yes. That is one of the most. Man, I don't know, and and, and is that a is that a legit quotable? William Wallace reference because there's so much about William Wallace that was fable and 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 rumor etc. Where did that line come from? Was that just did it come from the movie? Uh, it came from the movie. But I'll tell you exactly wh- what happened when I wrote it. Um, no, nobody knows a word that William Wallace actually uttered. So there there is a story from a guy named Blind Harry who wrote a a book about William Wallace that was written several hundred years after he he lived. Um, but things like they may take our lives, they may never take our freedom, um, and every man dies, not every man really lives, they were things I wrote in the screenplay. And where that line comes from is that I was pondering on the idea that William Wallace is going to go in and he knows that he can fight forever, but he'll never win a battle unless he convinces his enemies that the Scots deserve to win. They deserve to be free. And that to do that, he has to put himself into the hands of people who have already betrayed him. And that is straight from Jesus of Nazareth. That's right from the New Testament. When people say to me, you know, what was your research for Braveheart? I go, well, I read the New Testament uh, because... You know, the, and Mel Gibson, by the way, recognized this right away. Um, even the prayer, you know, that William Wallace says right before he says the line about every man dies, not every man really lives, is like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's praying for the courage to die well. And I was thinking, like, with Jesus saying, I know, I know that these people that I have lived with, worked with for three years are still going to betray me. So do I wait and say the logical thing would be to just work with them some more because clearly they don't get it? Why would I go in and die when even the people that are closest to me don't understand me and will even run away and and desert me? And what's the difference? And I was thinking about that, that Jesus would be dead, uh, he was going to be killed, and the fact that other people didn't get it didn't change him from being who he was and and living what he lived and and giving us the truth that lives and that's where the line every man dies not every man really lives came from well i thought that line was brilliant hey <laughs> no i mean just you're a good man hey just stepping back a bit i can i can comment definitely on the, this is tim by the way yeah, yeah sorry yes thank you mr wallace uh i mean women definitely love him my wife and i that's one of our favorite films that we've ever watched didn't you make a baby while and that yet, film was well on? we didn't make a baby necessarily the film was going on but our daughter is named after 
Our daughter is named after a character uh, in the film. It's actually we named her after um, uh, Murren, the uh, Williams' uh, wife's name. Just it's such a beautiful name, such a unique name, and I mean we trace back what it meant, and it has a lot of cool meaning. Um, so thank you, sir, for uh, letting us know about that name. You named Tim's baby. How do you feel about yeah, that, so Randall? Thanks, bro. I'm very proud of that fact, I'll tell you. It's a little creepy in some ways. Yeah, a little creepy. <laughs> and my daughter's yet to see the film. We're, we're just a little bit older, maybe, with all the violence and stuff, but she's well, so are excited. Are you kidding me? Oh, yeah, I guess. I, I, have we watched it with her yet? Dude, she's 23. What do you she's mean she's 16. too old? She's <laughs> 16. Okay. Yeah, wiener. Um, Your daughter's 23. Oh, that's right. Sorry, wrong, wrong human. Named after a movie character, too. Yeah, my daughter was actually named after a character from Man from Snowy River. Have you ever seen that, Randall? I, I have seen Man from Snowy River, and uh, and I love the the whole issue about daughters as warriors. Uh, the the guy who is head of the clan Wallace, the battle reenactors, um, who who are all in that in that final shot of the movie when you're panning across and you see um, you see Hamish and you see Stephen of Ireland. This is after William Wallace has already been executed, and you see Robert the Bruce. All the other guys in there. The faces are the are the members of the clan Wallace, and I had found them when a friend of mine had worked on the movie Highlander. Um, said if you if you do a movie in Scotland, you've got to find these guys. They're battle reenactors, and we had three broken noses after we yelled "cut." Um, are you kidding me? <laughs> you, no. Hold on. Are you sure that Are you sure you didn't hire a bunch of Canadian hockey players? <laughs> well, well, he's been in Winnipeg. You know, it's like where do you, where does that come from? You know, <laughs> it's like uh, Rowdy Roddy Piper. These guys uh, have it in their blood. You know what Piper felt about the bagpipes, and uh, well, just so so the women um, were were treated like like they were, were themselves full of that kind of wild heart. Um, you know, a thing I call a brave heart, mm. and uh, they wanted to be warriors. They were. Um, in fact, and my friend Shuras Wallace, who was head of the clan, when his daughter turned 13, he, he wrote me an email and he said, the wee toughs in the neighborhood are starting to look at her different. So I just walk around and I, I punch them in the nose and they say, what's that for? And I say, that's for nothing. Imagine what you'll get if you do something. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's how you become, I lived in Australia for five years and that's how you become good mates with somebody. You, you just uh, start, a, start a brawl at the bar and you're friends for life with whoever you exactly. fight. Exactly right, yeah. and I think that's part of the whole warrior mentality. Warriors want to know that the person to their right and their left are are also warriors. Yeah, and that's one of the things I I, I talk about in the book that the there are sort of pillars of what it is to live a brave heart life. There's a to a, find a relationship with a father and be a father. Find a relationship with a teacher and be a teacher. Be a warrior, and a warrior is always asking himself, what does it mean to be a warrior? Um, and I, I believe those are vital elements for us to live fully. Well, um, Living the Brave Heart Life by Randall Wallace, screenwriter for the Academy Award-nominated film Braveheart. A part biography, part masterclass, Living the Brave Heart Life will challenge readers to fight to win on the greatest battlefield of all, the one inside the human heart, the one where an individual stands alone before God. Um, do you... 
with all this macho stuff that's going on here, and I and I say that with a little bit of pride. Normally, when when we hear the word macho stuff, it, you know, you, we're sort of t- taking the Mickey out of uh, out of uh, the, you know someone being too macho or too. There's an ego thing involved. But I'm I actually mean standing up for what's important. Uh, for for having your friends uh, and your loved ones back no matter what, forget their back, standing in front of them, for, for leading, instead of what I think, and, and I'm, I get in trouble every time I say this, uh, Randall, but the chickification of the church has driven me bonkers. I can't sing erotic love songs to Jesus anymore. You're my boyfriend. You're my everything. I love you tenderly, dearly. That's not me, man. I'm not going to do that. And the messages and just, I don't know. I just find that when you get real men together, okay, forget promise keepers, a small group of guys, like, for example, Mike Iaconelli had a group. Do you, do you know that name at all, Randall? I don't know him. Mike Iaconelli is, is uh, one of the messiest spiritual leaders that ever lived in the Jesus scene. He was awkward. He was uncoordinated spiritually. This is what I'm talking about. And he started a group called the Notorious Sinners Club. Notorious Sinners Club. Uh uh, Brennan Manning was part of it, uh, Tony Campolo, uh, Mike Iaconelli, and I can't remember the other. But they would sit around. They'd go on you know, some camp thing, retreat deal, and they would have whiskey and cigars and God. And they manned it up, and they owned things, and they fought with each other, and they cried, and it was real gut-level stuff. Well, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were the same, same way. Same deal, yeah. right. So, exactly. so, so can you speak to... By the way, I hate when when interviewers ask that question. Can you, Can you just speak to that issue, please? Because it's not even a real question. It's not a well-thought-out question at all. But Let me jump all over it and tell you I could not possibly agree with you more. I, I, I think that the, the, it's, it's throughout our society as well as in the Church. The, the Church becomes uh, completely feminized, and I'm not talking about uh, a lack of honor of women or saying that women nope. shouldn't be nope. all that they can be. Not saying that. But, but we hold women sacred, and that's, that's part of that. Uh, I'll tell you a little story. I was at West Point recently, and I went to ranger school before we did. Uh, we were soldiers. I thought it was important for me to get some training, and I was talking with some young um, of the, the women at West Point. West Point has a lot of women now, and... Uh, and they were going to ranger school, some of them, and, and, and then I said, gosh, I'm not sure how I feel about women in combat. And they looked at me like, well, don't you think a woman should be allowed to do everything that she's capable of doing? And I said, absolutely. But you've got to understand that, that we hold women sacred. That's part, that's part of who men are. And so I'm not talking about suppressing no. them, but men have to step forward and be men and we are messy and we and and life is messy love is messy but when you're standing shoulder to shoulder with somebody that you know would argue about politics religion anything you would you could possibly dispute about with your head that you know that guy would die before he would leave you bleeding on the battlefield he would die there with you fighting then that's a bond that we need we need it the church requires it i believe that's who jesus was and is, and I believe that's who the disciples were. So, you know, when you walk into church and you go, okay, leave your manhood at the door, that's, that's wrong. Yeah. That, that will drive men out of the church, and the church desperately needs real men. And I think that's what happened. I don't know which came first, you know, the chicken or the egg kind of thing, but, we, you know, there, there's a reality that 
um, women tend to uh, submit spiritually quicker than men. And so I think as a result of the institutionalized church, whether they realized that and then strategically went after the, you know, the, the female vote or catered to women, I don't know which came first. The fact that, you know, women were all were showing up because and men were, were, were quitting on church or men started quitting on church because women were showing up and it was and it was all about it was all about touchy feely kind of kind of I don't know. I, I don't know. Anyway, it gets us into trouble when we when we overgeneralize and I do that all the time but I think that it it is easier for women to to develop relationships and uh, and to see the nuance of a group well because so, they, are they not they are far I think women are far more egoless than men I think ego yeah. gets in the way of spiritual growth authenticity teachability and vulnerability those are my three key words the, that's my epitaph teachability authenticity uh, vulnerability and teachability, and when I think of that, I think of women first. Yeah, yeah, and but but the it's a mistake for women to believe or anybody to believe that men don't process deeply yeah, the, that's the necessity of love and emotion and how much we love our fathers, how much it 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 uh, just rocks us and tears us apart to. To lose our father, or to believe that we that our father doesn't see us as men. Uh, a, a friend once told me, "A man's not a man until his father tells him he is." And when you lose your father, and all the conversations you you never had, or say in the story of Braveheart, he loses his father, and then it's this uncle that comes riding into town and and tells him, "You learn to use your head first, and then I'll teach you to use this sword." I mean, that's the kind of thing men need to, to do for each other. And we want to hold a sword in our lives, whatever that sword is. We want to have it, and we don't want to be in a kind of Christianity that says, what this is about is for you to sit here and lose all your appetites, lose all your drive. We want to be men in full. And that's what I think that the message of the Church doesn't land if it deserts men. Well, listen, anybody that put himself through a year of divinity school by teaching karate, that's that's my kind of guy right there, man. That is my kind of guy. Now, I do want to play a game from Sesame Street. Are you ready? Just before we say I'm goodbye ready. to you, here we go. This is a little game from Sesame Street. <laughs> the Man in the Iron Mask, We Were Soldiers, Pearl Harbor, Secretariat, Heaven is for Real. Here's the Sesame Street game. One of these things is not like the other things. I guess you're going to say heaven is for real. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Listen, Secretary, I'm a horse guy, man, and, and I and um, Jessica Lang. Oh, my goodness. The subtleties in her face as she's delivering lines is uncanny. She is beautiful and, 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 um, and has this subtle way of getting across the emotive uh, in her, you know, the way she delivers her line. Man, she's just so good. So good. Yeah. She is a fabulous actress, and and is, that's a way in which, like when I have said to people, I don't make war movies, I make love stories. I want to know what you love enough to give your life for. Uh, I would even say Secretariat, in a certain way, is a war story, and it's a story of a, a warrior woman and a warrior horse. Yeah. Um, you know, we use a quote from the book of Job to open and close that movie, uh, but that... That is about 
you know, finding finding that battle, um, which I think we all want to find. So I, I love that movie, by the way, Secretariat, and um, and I had big fights to um, to have Oh Happy Day in it. The studio was worried sick about that movie and the way I'd shot the ending of it, and we had our first test screening, and uh, the audience was just standing up and cheering, and there were gang members in the men's room singing Oh Happy Day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Can you imagine walking in on that? So you walk into the men's room, and there's gangbangers singing Oh Happy Day. Oh Happy Day, man. And it's an example to me of men who who are who, we want to be yeah. powerfully moved. We're just not moved by inauthenticity, by BS, you know. And and that's that's powerful. What you said about authenticity is it. Yeah. Without that, you know, then then there's nothing. And we are quicker. I, men, I believe, than than women probably are quicker to say, you know, to to identify something that's inauthentic and to walk out on it. Yep, yep, straight up. Um, straight up, what am I? Just say with an I'm, accent. I'm from the hood. Straight up. <laughs> straight, I can't even do that. <laughs> LivingTheBraveHeartLife.com is a website you want to check out, and we have been chatting with Randall Wallace. He's the author of Living the Brave Heart Life, Finding the Courage to Follow Your Heart. Uh, we're giving away the, a copy of Living the Brave Heart Life, on the Drew Marshall Show Facebook page in partnership with HarperCollins Faith Books, HEC Faith Books. You have been fantastic. What a great uh, conversation. I I wish I had known you prior to this conversation because I, I would have looked you up. I don't know, creeped on you, found you. We would have done lunch or something. Eh? Met so, at the tent. Met at the... You know what? I went uh, with Rob Freed yesterday to had sushi at some... There's some CAA agent who is a terror. He's now in his 60s. And he's not an agent anymore, and he owns some sushi bar. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I don't know it. We got to go there, man. Let's go have some sushi. Let's do. All right. Randall, great to chat with you. Oh, great to chat with you guys. I can't wait to do it again. I can't wait to meet you again in person. Okay, man. You take care, man. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Randall Wallace on the Drew Marshall Show. Short break. When we come back, it's a pub crawl. You want to tune in because we're going to talk about uh, getting high and finding God. And then also uh, what Jesus people or God people or people of faith should do when it comes to being wronged. And uh, do we sue? Do we not sue? Do we press criminal charges? Do we settle out of court? There's a personal story that I want to share about this whole issue coming up next on The Drew Marshall Show. Stay with us. Somali pirates have hijacked a sailboat in the Indian Ocean and taken two passengers hostage. What happens next will change their lives forever. The Tears of Dark Water is a powerhouse new novel of tragedy, vengeance, and redemption. From acclaimed novelist Corbin Addison, the international best-selling author of A Walk Across the Sun. Kirkus Reviews calls it a fast-paced thriller and puts its humanitarian moral at the forefront. Electrifying and moving, The Tears of Dark Water is a tour de force and Corbin Addison's most powerful novel yet. 